Well, as we get started, I want to take some time to dismiss our children in worship time. Um, I know that we only have a few this morning, but uh, we want to make sure that they can head out. Um, and as they head out, I want to invite you. We're going to be in Proverbs 16. Um, that's we're going to be doing a majority of our time there. And as we get started, um, you know, we are almost halfway done through Proverbs. And as we get there, uh, I don't know about you, but uh, Proverbs can at times feel like a lot, right? As you're reading through it, it can kind of feel like, man, there's a lot of stuff here, a lot of good wisdom. How do I retain this? How do I actually make this a part of my life? And it actually reminds me, kind of like what Tony was talking about, is going to a conference. Like when you sit in a conference, if whether this is a business conference, a, a ministry conference, a, uh, you know, for schooling or whatever your career is, when you go to one of these conferences, uh, at least in my experience, the, the first moment I go there, I'm really excited. I got my notepad, I got my computer or tablet or whatever I'm going to take notes on. And, and the first speaker gets up and they're super dynamic. They set the tone for the whole uh, event. And, and you're like almost feeling like, man, do I even need to take notes? I'm, there's no way I'm going to forget any of this. It's such good information, such good uh, stuff here. I'm just going to make sure, you know, scratch down a few notes because, man, there's so much good stuff here. And then the second speaker gets up, and they have good stuff. And you're like, man, I better take some more notes here because there's a lot here. But by the fifth, sixth, seventh uh, speaker, sometimes you just get overwhelmed by the amount of information. And then your brain is more so worrying about how do I actually make this application instead of just information? How do I allow this to actually transform my life uh, or my work or whatever? Uh, and that can kind of be like uh, what Proverbs is like sometimes. As we speed read through this sometimes, um, we can get overwhelmed by the amount of good uh, stuff that is here, good wisdom that is here. And the, the, the truth is, is that uh, Proverbs is written in a way that is, isn't supposed to be sped read. You aren't supposed to just run through Proverbs and hope you catch a few things. Uh, the way that Proverbs is written is actually in a poetic form, meaning that when we read it, we should be chewing on it. There's wisdom there. It says something, but there's something deeper in there. There's something that we can dig out and mine out and apply to our lives uh, here in 2021. And so as we read through it, um, there, the, the truth is, is that we should kind of slow our pace down when we read Proverbs, that we should allow it to kind of just uh, resonate in our life, swim around in our head a little bit. Uh, a professor uh, once, uh, of Proverbs once uh, kind of shared with me, uh, Proverbs is a book that wants to take, uh, sorry, Proverbs is a book that wants you to take it out for a test drive. Meaning that when you read Proverbs, you're supposed to kind of take a bit in, and then figure out how it applies to your life. Chew on it. You know, go out into the world and see where you see that wisdom that it's giving you, that godly wisdom applying in your life. And what's amazing is as you do that, this book of the Bible doesn't just stay in good information states. It actually starts to transform your mind, transform your heart, as all Scripture uh, should do. And so as we jump into uh, Proverbs 16, um, you know, when Russ kind of shared with me, you know, this is what you're going to be preaching on, he gave me a large portion of Proverbs, and we're going to slow down the pace. Uh, maybe it's just because I'm not as good as him, but we're just going to be focusing on Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 9, and kind of reading through that and dissecting, chewing on that section of Scripture. So as we get started, um, just turn your Bibles to, like I said, Proverbs 16, and we'll start right at the beginning. And this is what it says. To humans belong the plans of the heart, 
but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. The Lord works out everything to its proper end, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this. They will not go unpunished. Through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, these, uh, he causes their enemies to make peace with them. Better a little with righteousness than much gained with injustice. In their hearts, uh, in their hearts humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. As we jump into this uh, scripture, something that we should take note of is eight of the nine verses here are actually God sayings. They're, they're telling us about the character, about the nature of who God is. And the way that they're doing this is they're kind of uh, contrasting these statements. They're saying this is who God is and this is who humans are. Uh, this is how things work. This is what he's going to do. And so it's important. This is actually a shift in the way that uh, Solomon has been sharing. Uh, again, we're in the Proverbs of Solomon right now, which started in uh, Proverbs 10 and is going to go through partway through 22. And uh, this is a shift in the way he's been sharing his uh, Proverbs, uh, where he's going to be really focused on who God is and his authority. Uh, and we'll see that through all of Proverbs, but it's, it gets really dense here as he kind of shares that. And we see that. We're going to go back through uh, it uh, kind of piece by piece. So he, he says, to humans belong the plans of the heart in verse 1, but the Lord comes... Uh, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. So this is kind of setting the stage for how all nine verses and how the rest of Proverbs uh, is going to kind of go as far as who's in control, and the answer is God is in control. He's the one that is able to control everything that is actually happening. And, and that's kind of crazy to, to think about when you actually think of the ramifications of that actually being true. And that's the fact that, you know, as we kind of see, uh, I don't think any of us have to kind of think about it. Mo many of us had a lot of plans that we thought was going to happen through 2020. Um, and most of them were canceled, right? And most of them didn't kind of show up the way that we thought that they were going to happen. I can't tell you how many great things I thought were going to happen in my ministry, in our life, and, and just all that kind of stuff in my schooling. Uh, that I thought, man, this for sure, this is going to happen. 2020 is going to be a great year. Even My wife and I, even at the beginning of it, uh, deemed this is going to be the year of change. <laughs> and we had no clue how uh, true that was going to be, because uh, at the time we didn't even know that Cheryl was pregnant. So <laughs> um, it's funny that when we plan as human beings, we only know so much. We can plan uh, as much as we want to in our hearts, but only God truly knows how things will truly go. Uh, only Him provides the answers that will actually happen. Uh, and so uh, I think that as we, we, we go out there, we need to understand that God is the one who's going to be able to make sure that things happen and His things are going to happen. Uh, it says this a little bit later in Proverbs 19. It says it a little bit different way, verse 21, where he says, uh, Many are the plans in the, hearts of, uh, in the person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. Which should cause us to ask the question in the midst of life, 
what is God's purpose for me in this situation? If God is in control, what is, what is his purpose for me? What is he trying to do with me uh, in the good times, in the bad times? What is God's purpose? And I think Paul fleshes this out a little bit more in Romans 8, 28, uh, where he says, And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose uh, for them. So we trust that if, if you are Christian, uh, that we should be asking a very important question, which is, in the midst of disaster, in the midst of anything that's going on, from the good times and the bad times, what is God's purpose in this for me? You know, he does not waste any moment. He, he is not caught off guard. He's not surprised, you know, and, and so if he's in control, then what is his purpose for me in this moment? You know, if, if, I, if I've given my life over and I'm following him, and everything that I do, then he has uniquely placed me in certain situations to be his influence, whether that's in my work, in my family, in my church, uh, wherever he has you. He, he has put you there for a reason. And so we should be, as Christians, looking for that purpose in the midst of whatever we're going through. Now, there's a bit of a problem in that, though, right? Because uh, as uh, Proverbs 16, verse 2 kind of starts to get at, it says, All a person's ways seem pure to them, but motives are weighed uh, by the Lord. We are so quick to justify ourselves. We are so quick to think that our motivations, when we first glance at them, are pure. Like, oh, well, I, I'm doing this because I, I want to do the right thing. I want to, I want to you know, help people. I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to get more connected to God. And so we have all these reasons that we think that we're doing things for the right reasons, but when we actually reflect on them, maybe we're not doing them for the right reason. Maybe we have selfish motives. And we see this flushed out a bit more with Jesus, with his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7, as uh, the religious leaders of that time were justifying themselves and so why they were pure, why they were, they were right with God. And they were saying like, hey, we followed every rule that, we, that God has given us, and man, we even made up some extra rules just to make sure that we followed those rules even better. Uh, and so Jesus starts to take those on, and, and he starts to kind of help them understand what were the purposes of those rules. And so uh, in Matthew 5, 22, when the, the, the Pharisees would have been bragging like, well, I've never murdered anyone. I've never broken that commandment. Uh, Jesus then points out, well, have you hated anyone? Have you let hate come into your heart and own you? And he helps them understand that what God is weighing on them when it comes to being righteous and unrighteous is their motivations. That it's not just, oh, you didn't murder someone. It's, have you hated someone? Have you let that take over your life? When you have a disagreement with someone, how quick are you to tear them down? What do you call those people that you disagree with? Do you call them brothers and sisters, or do you have other names that we can't say in church? Uh, what kind of things are you saying about them? And he kind of says that that motivation, that stuff is on the scale too. He also continues on. He says, you know, for those of you who say you haven't committed adultery, well, have you ever looked at someone with lust in your heart? Well, then you've pretty much done that because that's on the scale too. And so he, he helps people to understand that it's so much more than just the action that is happening. It's what's happening in the heart. 
And he doesn't just let us get off with the bad stuff. He also challenges us on the, on the good stuff too, right? He says, for you who are praying, why do you pray, right? He challenges them. Are you praying out in the open uh, like the Pharisees who want to be seen and want to be looking very spiritual and have long prayers? And he instructs them, no, go into the quiet place. Go alone and connect with God. And he says again for fasting, are you fasting so you can be, have that discipline a part of your life and, and connect with God and, and devote yourself and remind yourself that you need God more than you need food, more than you need anything else in this world? You need God in your life? Is that why you're fasting? Or are you fasting so people will notice how much of a super Christian you are, how awesome you are, and how disciplined you must be, and you must be really connected to God, so that's why you're doing it. Now, these questions cannot just be super, like, answered right away. I don't think anyone would be like, oh, yeah, I'm praying so everyone thinks I'm awesome. I think it's one of those things that has to happen when you reflect, as you think about it, as you, as you kind of look at what you're seeking. Are you disappointed when no one noticed that you were praying for someone? Are you disappointed when no one noticed that you were fasting that day? That's one of those check-your-heart moments. We cannot be so quick to justify ourselves. Because uh, the truth is, is that we cannot hide our true motivations from God. We see, uh, he sees right through us. And the reality is, we don't need to justify ourselves. Only God can do that. Only Jesus has done that for us. He justifies us. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who allows us to live with pure motives. And so as we give our lives over to him, he's the one who allows us to have those pure motives to do what he's calling us to do. And that's what Proverbs 16 verse 3 kind of starts to talk about. He says, commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. Whenever you commit your life to God, you're committing everything. You're committing everything that you are, who you are at, at church, at work, at home, every section of your life, you're committing to him. And when we do that, we're able to live in a pure life and in a way that he is able to take over each section of our life and be Lord over them. And it's so freeing, it's so liberating when we live in that place of God being king over every section. And how dangerous it is when we try to compartmentalize Jesus in our life. When we say, God, you can have this section of my life, but this over here, yeah, that's for me. I, I'm going to hold this back. I think I got this part. When we live with that kind of thing, it, you'll see that it leads to some dangerous parts. I mean, we've seen before, I've seen in my life, men who come to church and they pray out loud with people, but then they get home and they, they verbally abuse their family. People who come to almost every gathering that we have but then gossip and tear people down behind the scenes. How confusing that is. I've had kids share with me how confusing that is when uh, this, my dad is praying for people, but in that same way, he's tearing me down. So does God not love me? He can speak for God there, but he can't speak for God at home. How destructive that can be. Then in verse 4, there's a promise and a warning there. It says, the Lord works out everything to its purpose, or to its proper end, sorry. Even the wicked for a day of disaster. It's a reminder, first of all, uh, of what we learned in verse 1, which is that God is in control. 
and that he's moving towards its proper end. Everything's moving to its proper end, to his proper end. Uh, Paul kind of fleshes this out a little bit more in Philippians 1.6, where he says, Be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to its completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God has started something in your life. And if he has started something, he's going to see his plan through to its proper end. He's not going to give up halfway. He's not going to settle for what I guess I can get out of you. He's going to keep working in your life day by day and keep pushing you towards him. If, if you are a new Christian, you should, you should have faith that if he has started something in you, even if it was just a, a, an idea, I should, I should go to church today. I feel like God's calling me to at least do that. Well, have faith that he's going to continue to work in your life and he's going to continue to plug you in and he's going to continue to love you because he started something, he's going to see it through. And if you've been a Christian for a long time, we have faith that he's going to continue to push you as well until you look and sound exactly like Jesus, until you've hit that perfection, he's still got work to do. I don't care how often, how often you've come to church, how often you read your Bible, until you are at that level, which won't happen this side of heaven, uh, it's gonna ha- he's going to keep working in your life. And it gives us hope that he's not done with us. He hasn't shelved us. He's not waiting for us to die to finish his work. No, he's got work to do now, and you've got work to do with him. He gives us this, this promise that he is not done. He's not going to forsake us. And then he gives us that warning at the end, right? That even the wicked for the day of disaster, that he's going, he is God over everyone, not just the Christians, but over all of the world. But then that question comes up, who are the wicked? We'll look at verse 5. I think it kind of flushes it out. Solomon kind of shares with us. He says, the Lord detests all the proud of heart. Be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. So I think we can establish that, uh, you know, the wicked can be a, a term in, the, in the, the Old Testament that usually covers a multitude of sins, you know, the murders, the thieves, uh, the adulterers, uh, all those things that we kind of throw into that normal category. But what Solomon points out right here, he doesn't talk about all those kinds of people, is he says those who are proud of heart. He identifies that section of all of our lives when we think that we can do things on our own. And actually, you're going to see that kind of happen through the rest of Proverbs, at least through the next like four chapters, where uh, Solomon is going to point out different ways that we take pride in ourselves and say, God, I, I think I can run this part on my own. Uh, we do this by when we try to have our own schemes, when we think that we can, uh, you know, influence people around us, and we have a voice, and so we can kind of move the pieces the way we want it to in life because, you know, we have that authority, we have that will, ability to do that, and we see that in 16, Proverbs 16, 27 through 30, where he points out that when we act that way, when we think that we can manipulate people around us, that it'll lead down bad paths, and we'll lose close friends. We'll have nothing but broken relationships when we live in that way. When we want to live uh, in a place where we're only following our own heart, which is so often what we hear nowadays from our, uh, our, our world, uh, is follow your heart. Follow those passions in your heart. Proverbs 18 verses 1 through 3 points out that when we do that, uh, when we follow just our heart, 
We become arrogant. We'll be uh, ignorant. We'll be incompetent. And we'll be full of shame. Because we'll realize how little we actually know. And the only way that we can be happy is when we ignore the truth and the reality that is really happening around us. And in Proverbs 18, verses 10 through 12, talks about when we uh, trust our finances to keep us safe more than we trust God, that it'll fail us. That we'll find ourselves in a place where uh, we try to uh, not have the consequences of our choices, but, uh, and we build a fortress around us, I think is the terminology it uses. But the verse 12 says that that, that will fail us. Anytime we try to build something outside of God, it'll fail us. And the warning here is that we need to submit all of our lives to him. It reminds me of this story that we see in Acts 5, uh, when a, a man and a wife are uh, called to give a gift to the church. And uh, this was their, their moment. They, they should, this just should have been a very blessed moment, a very happy moment, but instead of trusting God, what he was calling them to give, he, uh, they instead gave some of what he called them to give and held back some for themselves. And this resulted in their deaths. Now, if we read that story, we can look at that and we could get some really wrong uh, theology out of that. We can read that and say, well, you better tithe, otherwise it's not going to end well for you. Uh, and that's not what we're supposed to uh, take out of that, although I'm sure our deacons would really appreciate the bump in our tithing. Uh, I don't think that that's good theology. Um, I think what we're supposed to gain out of that story is understanding the danger of any time we hold back anything from God. Any time that we thought there was finances for them, but for another person, it could be how I'm at, at my work. Well, I, God, I'll submit to you everywhere, but the way I'm at work, I need to be able to uh, lie, cheat, and steal. I need to bump ahead of my competition. I want to get ahead. I want to be the best there. And so if I want to get that management position, if I want to be the, the CEO or whatever, I need to make sure that I can do these things, God, that maybe you wouldn't be so proud of, but that's how I'm going to And then I'll give extra, God. How dangerous of a place that we get to when we compartmentalize. Well, God, I'll submit to you everywhere, but not in my relationship because I really like this guy or this girl, and so I don't know if I want to give that over to you. And we see that it leads to death. I got to tell you, Jesus paid way too high of a price to share you with any kind of evil. And he is not someone who shares well with any kind of sin. He was all in with you, and he's going to ask the same from us, to be all in with him. And how great, how life-giving when we do. Proverbs 16, 6 through 8, this is kind of what it says. Through, through love and faithfulness, sin is atoned for. Through the fear of the Lord, evil is avoided. When the Lord takes pleasure in anyone's way, he causes their enemies to, take, to make peace with them. Better a little with righteousness than much gained with injustice. The fear of the Lord is to be full of love and faithfulness given to us from God to share with others. When we live in his light, everything starts to just not really work out like we want it to. Like we have this idea that like, oh, everything's going to be hunky-dory. But everything is good. 
We can go through disaster and say, God, you are good and, and you have blessed me. And, and maybe I don't have all the riches that I had dreamed about when I was a kid or a teenager especially. But man, I am blessed. My family is blessed. My children are blessed. And I don't even need all that stuff. I would rather have a little with God than a lot with the evil schemes of this world. I love how Paul puts it in 1 Corinthians 1 through 25, uh, 125, not through 25. Um, For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. God's worst day, which I don't actually think he has, but God's worst day is better than our best day. The worst day that you'll ever have in heaven, which again, I don't think actually happens, but is going to be the best, is going to be better than the best day you've ever experienced here on earth. I've heard it said before uh, that for Christians, that this earthly life is as close to hell as you will ever get. That only heaven awaits us. Only perfection awaits us. That's the hope that we have in Christ. And we are living each day, working our way to live into that reality of what Jesus has already done for us through the cross. And for those who don't believe in Jesus, the, the, the sadness behind that is this is the best that it will ever be for them. This is the best heaven that they will ever experience because only hell awaits them. And how much we want to live into that heaven. How much do we want to live in that reality where God has opened the doors for us and, and, and he's the one who calls us to that. Verse 9 ends with this. It says, In the hearts uh, humans plan their course, but the Lord establishes their steps. God is in control. He has all authority and he establishes our way. I want to leave you with this in question. And this is usually in youth group where we would like break up into small groups, but we are not going to do that because as adults, we think we don't need that anymore. Um, uh, But I want to leave you with this uh, question that maybe you can have in uh, your car, at lunch, or in some point in your day, have this conversation and and really chew on this. And that is, uh, and it's kind of spiritual math, so my youth group will laugh at me because I, I do this from time to time. But here's the question. What is God wanting to do within you or through you since God is in control and X is happening? X being a situation that is happening in your life. Something that is troubling you. Something that you've been chewing on. Something that is just, I don't know about this. What do I do with this? If God is in control which is what we just read in Proverbs and would read a hundred other times throughout the Bible. God is in control. What does he want to do with you if he's in control of those things? Or since he's in control of those things? What is he trying to do within your heart? What is he trying to do within your life? What is he trying to wake you up to? What truth about him is he trying to help you discover? And if you're like, I have no clue, good. Dig. Open up your Bible. 
Dig in there. There's, there's truth there to apply to your life. And, and if you're stuck, talk to your fellow Christians here. Talk to people in church and say, I'm going through this. I, I don't know. We have elders, Pastor Russ, myself. We, we would love to sit there and talk with you. And I can't promise you answers. I'm not going to be like, oh, well, this is what God wants for you. No, you should run from anyone who just flirts out God's plan for you. Uh, but we'll sit there and we'll search with you. We'll dig into the Bible with you. We want you to understand that God has a purpose for your life. And it starts with knowing who he is. And it, and it, and it ends with submitting everything to him as well. So chew on that. And I hope you have a good conversation. So let's, let's pray and start first with our conversation with our God. God, I thank you that you are in control of all things. God, that there's no section of our life that we can hide away from you and that you look even to our motivations and you, you call us to be more like you even there. God, I pray that you would help us to submit all of our life to you. And God, for anyone here who doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, who doesn't know you as in a personal way, God, I pray that they would be at a place where they could reach out to you. They could say, God, I want to know you in that way. I want to, I want to have you a part of my life so closely that, that I can just give it all to you. My sins, my mess-ups, my good times and my bad. Just be a part of my life, God. God, that they would pray that out to you and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Help me live in a new way. And I thank you so much, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. And the fact that death could not hold you, it could not remain your final destination, but three days later that you rose from the dead, Jesus. And you now sit at the right hand of the Father. And you call us to live new lives for you. You loved us so much that you sent the Holy Spirit to live within our hearts. And so, God, I pray that you help us to live in light of that truth. You are in control. You are working everything to your purpose. And we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.